All right, well, it's good to be here this morning, and it's good to be at Temple Baptist Church. Uh, missionaries get into a lot of churches. Some of them make field homes, some of them don't. It's, I mean, it's like old home week around here. It's just uh, feel like we're one of you, and uh, the men have been uh, very good to welcome us and make us feel at home, and we appreciate uh, and I think I speak for all the missionaries. We appreciate the accommodations, which are excellent. The food is just unbelievable, uh, and we, we just—it's been fun. Some missionaries, uh, some mission conferences are a struggle to get through. This one's been fun and gone really fast. So uh, we appreciate Temple Baptist Church and your sacrifice to uh, for missions and souls around the world. Um, I confess to you this morning that my message isn't finished, and you'll figure that out here at the end, but uh, this is not an, something that I pulled out of my hat. Um, we have uh, uh, talked this week, and you've seen mission uh, presentations, and every one of them has been good. God works different ways in different countries, and uh, some fields are reaping fields, and some fields are sowing fields, so some are harder than others. Um, Brother Robinson is, is going new to Zambia. That's an exciting. That's encouraging. And, you know, it's good to get in on the ground floor, some of these missionaries. I'm talking guys that are going to make it, guys that are going to do something. And you're going to see fruit uh, from your sacrifice of your giving, and that's it's, it's a wonderful thing to... Uh, see this young couple, watch him grow. I know his father, I know his grandfather, all good men. Um, so I'm excited. Now, he's talking about emotion. Brother Ted's emotional. I got emotional listening to that song. Amen. Hey, listen, God saved me. That's a, to me, that's, that's a marvelous miracle. And, uh, I'm, I'm just ecstatic about it. I was March the 7th, 1978, and I still am, that God would save somebody like me. Amen. 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 Uh, I've tried this week to uh, let you all know that missionaries are just like everybody else. Uh, We have high points. We have low points. Kind of like I went through Abraham and Moses and David and some of those guys, you know, that we make mistakes along the way. And Mistakes are part of life. You just have to grow with them and learn from them and get up and go on. And I assume like some of you, you've wished there were some things you hadn't said or some things you hadn't done. And, uh, well, you can't dwell on that. devil lets you dwell on that until you can't do anything for God. You can't give. You can't go. You can't pray. You can't serve. But that's not God talking. That's the devil. And you're just going to have to turn your back on those failures and, man, just get up, put those things behind you and press towards the mark. Amen. Just get up and go on. Uh, today I want to talk about how God works. There's a lot of confusion about uh, how God works in lives. And, and uh, uh, this message has about a five-minute message and a 30-minute introduction. But uh, there's confusion about what God's doing. And we tend to think that uh, God is working this week, and I'll use Brother Chad as a just as an illustration, that God is working. The Holy Ghost is uh, dealing with Chad in this message. 
And I'm here to tell you that if you're here this morning, it's just not Chad he's going to deal with. God has something for every single one of us in this message. It doesn't depend on my outline. It doesn't depend on my delivery. It depends on your heart, whether you get what God has for you this morning. And some of it is sweet. And boy, that's great. Open your heart. Say, that's wonderful. I like that. But some of it's a little bitter. And uh, when you get to that part, you think, hey, he must be talking about somebody else. Well, he's talking about the one sitting in your seat. Amen. So how does God work? If uh, Matthew chapter 28, if, if you will start there, and I don't know how far I'll get with this. It's about a, well, anyway, I'll try to get, <laughs> try to get through as much as I can, and if we don't get finished, we'll finish it tonight. Bible says in verse 16, he says, And the eleven disciples went away from unto Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, and they saw him, and they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All powers uh, given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, their doubt wasn't the fact that it was Jesus and he was resurrected. That's not what the doubt was about. The doubt is about can we do what he's asked us to do? Can we uh, take the gospel to all the world? I mean, after all, all we are is, is, is 11 uh, Jews that the uh, our relatives and the community have cut off because we have recognized this as the Christ. So we are now we are outcasts. We're fishermen. We're uh, whatever we are, but none of us. Uh, has much of a name or authority or financial backing, can we do this thing? That's what the doubt was about. And he's talking about the power given unto him to go into all the world. Now, this came down to the disciples and then uh, from them to the church. Uh, this is our work. This is why we have the missions conference this week. It is the uh, goal of this church to do what you can in Statesville and around the world through your missions program and through the outreach of this church. That's what this whole thing is about. Again, as I said the first night I preached, missions is not a sideline. It is the reason for the existence of Temple Baptist Church. You meet together uh, for discipleship, to strengthen one another, for the fellowship, for the maturity. But the ultimate goal in everything you do And every dollar you give is to get the gospel to the world. That's why you do what you do. And if that's not why you do what you do, you're in the wrong business. You you might as well go on home and and forget about it. Uh, We're not a social organization in the sense of we're trying to change the world through a soup kitchen. Nothing wrong with helping the poor. I'm not knocking that at all. But that is not the primary goal. The primary goal of the church is... And, and every time I say this, I get in trouble. It is not a Christian school, even though the Christian schools are a good thing. Uh, it, it's not the, the youth program, even though a youth program is a good thing. Uh, the goal of this church, the primary uh, reason for our existence and our giving and our attendance today and the missions conference and the revival and every single message preached from this pulpit is to encourage you to get out and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ and to give your finances so we can do that and have our part in reaching the world. 
We don't do this isn't Brother Randy's idea, Brother Ted's idea. This is God's idea and God's program, and the giving is through the local church. You will find in the New Testament, all ministry is through the local church. You're sent out from a local church. All right, let's let's go through some things here. Uh, um, this is not three points in a poem and all that kind of uh, proper preaching and all that stuff. Just hang with me a little bit. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, verse eight. And brother, I think brother Wells and maybe two or three of us have hit on this this week. This is what we call last talk. And in New Guinea, the the last talk somebody makes is important. If, if he's a headband and, and whatever he says and on that deathbed, uh, that's law. It's like written in stone. Well, this is Jesus' last talk before he uh, ascends into heaven. And he says this. He said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And as you go down through this, uh, he goes up, and there's two men in chapter in verse 10 in white apparel standing by. And he said, uh, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And then they return to Jerusalem. So the message here to these men was... Why are you standing around? You've get, been given some instruction. Why are you still standing here? Now, let's go back to these 11 Jews, and then there's some other disciples and their leader. They have walked out of their belief system. They have accepted Jesus as the Christ. They're rejected by their own countrymen and their own society. And in a little while, there's going to be a lot of religious persecution. So they do go to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, and this little group of believers, men and women, are there, and they they have the promise, and they're waiting for the promise, and the promise arrives in the form of the Spirit of God. So this little group of frightened believers has a tremendous change in their life. You say, well, they got the Holy Ghost. I wish I could do that. If you're saved here this morning, you have just as much Holy Ghost as they do. Amen. This side of heaven, you have all you're going to get. You can't stand anymore. It's not the question of do you have the Holy Ghost. It's the question of does the Holy Ghost have you? Everything you do depends on how much you allow God to lead you in your life. How much you appreciate what Jesus did for you when he died on Calvary's cross. If you have a love for Jesus because he uh, paid the ultimate price for your sin and you allow the spirit of God to lead you and guide you in your life, I'm telling you, your life has never been the same. Uh, Your life since uh, salvation has been exciting. It's been dangerous and scary sometimes. But it has never been boring. If you allow the Spirit of God to control your life, I'm telling you, uh, you know, outsiders look at this and say, oh, man, you used to do this and you used to do that. And, and, and now it's like you're in jail. You can't do that anymore. No, we've been freed is what we've done. 
We've been freed of that sin that bound us in those chains of sin. And now we're led by the Holy Ghost of God and the scriptures to serve our God. And depending on how much we allow him to do that depends on what we get done. Now, listen, I say this every time I come here. We can be just another church. We can just meet on Sundays and have uh, two services and three points in a poem and uh, give a little money in the offering box, do whatever it is, and then get up and go home. I don't know about you, man, but I don't want to be in a dead church. I, I don't want to be have just another service or this is just another mission conference. I want to be a part of a church that's alive and, and trying to do something to touch the world for Jesus Christ. Uh, to, but to do that, you're going to have to allow that Spirit of God to work in your heart. And that's really what this message is all about. Because we tend to think that God is one-dimensional. He just works in one life at a time. And I'm here to tell you, that's not true. Now listen. You're here this morning or you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or whatever you're on. There's a reason for that. God has you here for a purpose. And he has something for you. And he wants to work in your life through the spirit that dwells inside of you to lead you into more service or maybe proper service or get you back. And maybe you're in the fast lane. He needs to slow you down a little bit. Or maybe you're in the slow lane. You need to speed up a little bit. But the spirit of God will lead you into those things. So as I'm preaching this this morning, and I gave Brother Chad's an illustration The Spirit of God is working over here, but at the same time, He's working back here. And then He's working over here. And there's somebody you invited here today, and He's working for them too. And He works in those hearts all at the same time. Now, uh, let me give you an an illustration. Kind of getting ahead of myself. Think of a crossword, uh, not a crossword puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle. My wife loves jigsaw puzzles. But this one I'm going to describe is made out of wood. And every single piece is a thousand pieces of little parts made out of wood. Now, the picture that it's going to make is Temple Baptist Church. But every single part of that puzzle has to be cut out. And if you use a jigsaw, particularly if you're, it's a little time, these guys are woodworkers, man, I'm not. I, But if you're going to do that and to make it fit, each little intricate part has to be just right. It it has to have the rough edges sanded off. That gets a little hard sometimes. Sometimes that requires adjustments in our life. Uh, Sometimes that requires adjustments in our personality. I met a fellow one time as a missionary somewhere and Pastor asked me to talk to him, and he said, uh, this missionary said, what's my biggest problem? I said, you are. Because he wouldn't talk to somebody just conversationally or back up a foot or two. Every time he talked to somebody, he was just nose to nose with them and aggressive. And I said, he said, what do, you, what do I need to do? I said, man, you need to slow down and back up about three feet and shut up a while. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes we have to get those edges off. Uh, some of us, it's the pride thing that's hurting us. 
And we think we ought to be doing more than we're doing, but we're not ready to do it. And, and we don't like that. We, we, man, we're ready to go. I mean, hey, I, my car's gassed up, my foot, I, I, but I'm 60. Uh, <laughs> that's what they say in New Guinea, but we won't get into that. But we want to go too fast. So those rough edges have to be rounded off. And that's done through the preaching of the word, through your own personal Bible study, through pastoral counseling. And, and God starts working those things down. Now, then we get to the picture. And can you imagine a thousand little pieces that's going to make a picture about that big? And the intricate parts of just painting that just, I mean, let's suppose you're part of the name Temple Baptist Church on the front. How hard would that be to make that in about a hundred pieces and you just get just a little corners got that, got part of the name on it. My wife puts puzzles together. She don't put them together by a picture. She matches colors. All right. In other words, you start with the border. She's got to find the border and all that stuff. They drive me crazy. I couldn't do one, but, (laughs) but the colors have to match. And the color to make the picture proper and clear have to be just right. And some colors are not black, white, red, and blue and all that. They're a mixture. Man, when I was a kid, that's all we had was just the major primary colors. And now they got mauve and apple blossom and all these crazy colors. But it has to be just right. And so what they do is they take a couple of primary colors, and they mix them. And that brings out that certain color just right for that piece in that particular part of that puzzle. And it's that mixing that hurts a little bit. Because God wants to take this part of your personality and maybe tone it down a little bit and give it a little fuel from the other side of your personality And make that thing mix. But to do that, he has to mix in some experience. And that experience sometimes gets hard. But God does that so he can get your little piece of the puzzle just right. And get that color just right. So you fit in the picture that God's trying to put together. Hold that thought. Go back to the first century. Between Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Acts chapter 13, where the church at Antioch sends out Barnabas and Saul, there are 18 years of history involved in that. Now, we read it, and we read it quickly. And, and we just jump from one thing to the other, and like it happened yesterday, and it happened quickly. And we, here we go from the, uh, the Acts chapter 2, where Peter gets up and, and gives his wonderful message. Uh, we jump into that, and then we uh, get over here to Paul and all this. But there's a lot of things happen in between there. And God is working in all these different places, in all these different lives. He's, he's, he gives the promise. He gives the fulfillment. Look at Acts chapter 2, about verse 26. Now, this is, this is Peter, who when they asked him, they said, Hey, 
Aren't you a Galilean? He said, not me. Not me. Same man. They're asking him if he's a follower of Jesus, and he says, no. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost comes. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. This crazy fisherman stands up in front of who knows, probably close to a million people in Jerusalem and preaches this message. And he said, ye men of Israel, verse 22, you hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself know him being delivered by determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. This man goes from a fellow who doesn't want to be associated with the uh, the disciples and associated with Christ as he's being taken to court before his uh, uh, his crucifixion. And now he's standing up full of the Holy Ghost and preaching, and he's preaching the Word of God. He's preaching it straight. And all that came about because he had a desire to do something for God. He allowed the Spirit of God, which is new to him, control him. And now he stands up and boldly proclaims, Jesus as the Christ. Not only that, he's accusing these people. He said, it's you that did this. It's not the Romans, it's you. My goodness, what a bold message. Mercy. Time you get to Acts chapter 4, you got Peter and John, man, they're walking through the the temple and uh, this fellow's wanting alms, he's wanting some money. And they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. Uh, Take up thy bed and walk. Wow. Wow. Same guys. So now they get courted by the Sanhedrin, by the leaders here. And they take him to court in Acts chapter 4. They beat him. They threaten him. And they said, don't be teaching anymore in the name of Jesus. What was their answer? (laughs) Yeah, amen. It's going to take more than you to shut me up, amen. That's the North Carolina version, by the way. Amen. It's it's amazing. And in Acts chapter 7, the persecution begins. And again, this is not Roman persecution. This is religious persecution from the Jews. And a fellow named Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, he's marked as one of the deacons. Man, the Bible says he's full of the Holy Ghost. Amen, Stephen. Give him. I mean, he would go to these places and he would teach and preach, go right into the synagogue and, and and, and, and talk about Jesus being the Christ. And, and, and what was his reward for that? They took him out and stoned him in Acts chapter 7. It's kind of like John the Baptist. His ministry wasn't very long, but boy, it sure had an effect. Because that young man standing there holding their coats was a fellow named Saul. So God's working through Stephen. God's working through Peter. And the Holy Ghost, I believe, at this point... It's starting to put a little pressure on Saul. Because it's not long he gets saved. Because that young man stood up, gave the history of Israel as they did in those days. They gave the history of Israel and he stood up and, and, and talked about Jesus being the Christ. And Saul heard that. Saul was a very intelligent man. And I believe the Holy Ghost of God started putting some pressure on him. Are you sure this is the right thing you're doing here? So what was his reaction? Man, 
the, the, the persecution got worse. That was Acts chapter 7. Uh, by the time you get to chapter 9, it said, And Saul yet breathing out against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, uh, that if he found any of these, uh, any of this way, uh, whether they were men or women, that he might bound, uh, might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now, what happens when you witness to somebody and the Spirit of God starts dealing with their hearts? What, what happens to that individual? Do they stand up and say, oh, thank you, I'm, I'm glad you told me I was a sinner? What do they do? What's their reaction? They get mad. Fellow who witnessed to me, we were at work and, at, at General Motors, and he said, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? Man, I'd grown up in church. I knew how to play the game. I knew the hard questions. So, you know, couldn't, can God um, create a rock that he can't lift? That type of nonsense. So I knew how to play the game, but I, I, it just made me mad. And I'm standing there, and I got a pair of gloves in my hand from, from working on the machine I was working on. And I just threw those gloves on the floor. And I said, Curtis, I said, you are not hanging my soul on your belt today. Guess I told him. <laughs> and then I walked away. I went home out that night. And I'm trying to sleep and I'm turning and I'm turning and I'm tossing. And, I'm, and, and, and the only thing I hear in my ear is if you die tonight, you're going to split hell wide open. And the Holy Ghost of God would not leave me alone. It had nothing to do with that young man and his witness to me. It's the fact of the matter that, well, it did in, in the sense of he gave me the gospel and told me my need. I wasn't mad at him. I was mad at God. Would you just leave me alone? We get angry. That's exactly what Paul did. So uh, when the conviction started, what did he do? He went and got a letter from the priest. Man, I need to, I need to lock some of these people up. They're dangerous here. And he's on the way. And the Spirit of God is still working out our hearts. Y'all with me today? I mean, God is convicting this man that he is a lost sinner and that he needs to be saved. And he is, he's, he's religious, but he's headed the wrong direction. Now, at the same time, in North Africa, in a place called Cyrene, uh, you, by the time you get to Acts chapter 10, you find two witnesses are there and they're stirring up this church in Antioch. And these guys were from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyrene is North Africa. Today it's Libya. And God is working in their hearts. And they get excited and follow in the spirit of God and they go to Antioch. Saul gets saved. I don't have time to get into all his history. But he does some things and he goes into the desert and then he goes to Tarsus. Because nobody wants to accept him. He's not accepted among the brethren. So he goes to Tarsus. Well, some things are happening. These two men from Cyprus and Cyrene go into this church at Antioch, which was dead and dried up and preaching the gospel just to the Jews only. I mean, they had my four and no more. And if you're not a Jew, Jesus was a Jew. We believe Jesus is the Christ, but he's the Christ of the Jews. 
And these two crazy people showed up and they said, hey, listen, this gospel is for everybody. And he started pre- they, they started preaching to the slaves and preaching to all the servants and preaching to all the common people. And boy, I'm telling you, God got to working in that thing and that church just started to explode. So the church at Jerusalem gets excited about it and they send a fellow named Barnabas. They said, go on up there to Antioch and find out what's going on. Again, we read that like it's nothing. It's 300 miles between Jerusalem and Antioch. Y'all with me so far? You read in Acts chapter 10, he came up there and, and, and took a look at that thing. He said, man, what is going on here? Barnabas is, is a man that's full of the Holy Ghost of God, and he sees what God's doing. And he said, man, this thing is bigger than me. I'm going to go find Saul. And so he goes to Tarsus. This is another hundred miles. He goes to Tarsus. He finds Saul and said, hey, man, we need you down here. Spirit of God's working in, in Paul. So he follows him down uh, to Antioch, and the two of them start preaching and teaching in this church. Y'all with me today? Y'all look like I'm crazy here. I'm not crazy. God is working. Amen. And But it takes some men. It takes some... Listen, it takes some hearts that's willing to do the hard things to make that 300-mile journey, to make that extra 100 miles, and then turn around and walk another 100 miles back. That's 500 miles just so you can teach the Bible. And the Spirit of God starts working in that church. Man, it's an exciting time. And then God says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. Why didn't he take some of those other guys? There's about eight or ten mentioned there in that first verse of chapter 13. They're good men. They were busy about the work in their local church. But God said, I want those two. These weren't the slackers. These were the best. Brother Chad mentioned the other night I preached out in Treasure Valley and his father surrendered. Well, I didn't know who Dennis Wells was. So I asked Brother DeMichael, I said, who is this guy? You know, I don't know. He might have escaped from a home somewhere. I don't know who he is. I said, is this guy for real? And Brother DeMichael's looked at me, and boy, his face screwed up. He said, he's the best man in my church. And then he smiled. He said, that's what we train him for. Amen. He allowed the Holy Ghost of God to work in this man. And he allowed the, because, listen, Brother Dennis had proven himself in the church. He just didn't get there yesterday and he's gone again. He worked and proved himself to that congregation. Amen. And that pastor in that church was in one accord said, yes, we will send him out because we know that God is on him. That's the way it works. So the Spirit of God's working here. Spirit of God's working with Paul. Working with Barnabas, he's working with those fellows from Cyprus and Cyrene. And, and uh, let me back up a little bit. It only took two men to set that church on fire. I mean, just two men willing to take a step outside the norm and do what God led them to do. You want to set this church on fire? How about two men stand up and say, I'm wholly given to the word of God and wholly given to God. Amen. You can come here every Sunday and just uh, uh, put in your $2 and go on home again. 
And it's never going to get anywhere. But brother, if you will let the Holy Ghost of God get a hold of you, if you will just put your life on the altar and say, Lord, here my send me, I'll go, I'll stay, I'll do whatever you have me to do, then you will see a change not only in your life, but in your church. Amen. Some of you got cold on us here. Amen. You used to be, you, there, there used to be a real fire there, but now it's kind of, just a little wisp of smoke once in a while. Man, it's kind of like, brother, you get out there in, 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 in a cold morning in Pangia in one of those little bush houses. And this lady gets up and there's some ashes, there's some live coals under those fire. Sometimes she'll use a piece of bamboo, but a lot of times she'll just get her face close to it. Put some little sticks on there and she'll do this. She'll, and as that breath gets in there and those coals start to glow and that smoke starts to come. And boy, before you know it, there's a fire there. You know what we need today? Man, we need the sweet breath of the Holy Ghost of God on our on the smoke that's in our life, on those live coals. He's there. You just have to let him control your life. Now, I'm not talking about all this charismatic job. I'm not talking about that crazy stuff. I'm talking about a heart given wholly to God. That's what we're missing in the church. Uh, we, we've come to uh, uh, rely on form and 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 and. Uh, organization and committees and all that kind of stuff. And we've left God clear out of the equation. Brother, if we would get God back in it, if we would get our hearts back in it, this whole meeting has been talking about the hearts. If we'd get our heart back in this thing, we'd see some smoke in this church and we see some Holy Ghost fire come up. Amen. I haven't got to the message yet. First Thessalonians chapter one. In First Thessalonians chapter one, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks unto God always for. Uh, you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. And he goes on, and if you ever want to know about the heart of a missionary, read chapter 2. Because Paul talks about how that those people in their uh, they've been saved and their life has been changed and they've got a good testimony uh, throughout all the country. And outside their country, because when you get over to, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the uh, testimony of these Macedonians encourages the church that's at Corinth. Because they were giving to their power, yea, and beyond their power. He's talking about this same group here. Uh, uh, Thessalonica is in Macedonia. And their, their, their reputation went out through all the world. Because of what they were doing. What were they doing? They were doing, brother, their reasonable service. They gave their life to God. They witnessed. They followed the Spirit of God. And they did the daily things that they were supposed to be doing. And their life changed. The greatest witness you can give is not necessarily the Bible. 
Because you can live like the devil and quote all the Bible you want, and this doesn't have any power to it at all. But when they see the change in your life, that's the strongest witness you can have. People are religious. You're religious? Okay. What's your religion done for you? Has it changed your life? Has it given you any peace within? Are you prepared to die tonight? Do you know if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? You see, religion can't give that to you. But they need to be, the the world needs to see you and your life and be hungry to get what you have. Uh, And I want my family to be like Chadwell's family. And I want, uh, I want uh, my marriage to uh, be like this brother. He's been saved forever and, and, and got a good wife and what their, their, their family just seems good and he's a faithful Christian and they want what you've got. Listen, this world is hurting. And they're crying out for something and they're not getting it. You can't get it from TV. You can't get it from substance. The only place they can find fulfillment in their life is just like you and I did through humbling yourselves, recognizing you're a sinner and asking Jesus Christ to save you. At that point, brother, the slate is wiped clean. That heaviness of sin is gone. You have a new life in Christ and now God can use you in his puzzle. I talked about this puzzle in the New Testament and how God was taking all them little pieces and working them around and working on Paul and uh, uh, working on Barnabas and working in Cyrus, uh, uh, Cyprus and working in Cyrene and working up in Antioch and, 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 and doing all these things and how God brought it to fruition. And here is the culmination of all of that. We get the first Thessalonians and this model church. But I'm telling you, between Acts chapter 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. There's a lot of troops on the ground. There was a lot of witnessing. Uh, There was a lot of uh, suffering and anguish and sacrifice to get the gospel out for Jesus. I said this message wasn't finished, and, and, and you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul will list all the trials and troubles that he went through. But I think when you get to heaven, you'll ask Paul, was it worth it? Man, I can just picture him jumping up, clicking his heels and shouting and saying, glory to God. Look at the fruit of that ministry. Now. The puzzle today is right here. And the pieces of the puzzle of Temple Baptist Church are you. And God is working in each and every life here so that you'll fit in that puzzle. You ever try to put the wrong piece in the wrong place? Man, you can stomp on that thing. It's not going to go in. It has to be just right. When we put something out of place, the picture isn't clear. It just doesn't work. So every piece of the puzzle has to be in just the right place. This puzzle today is you. Are you where you need to be? Is your heart 
pliable, usable, teachable? Are you allowing the Spirit of God to lead you in the spiritual decisions that you ought to be making every single day? You may be sitting here and uh, you say, man, I've been going to church a long time. I didn't. I've been a member, but I've never received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Oh, I've been baptized when I was a kid, but I didn't really believe nothing. Say, how do you know that? I've done it. I've had pressure from a Sunday school teacher and gone forward just to make them happy. It didn't mean nothing. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Brother Ted's version, no change, no Christ. How's your life? How's your heart? How's the Spirit of God? What place does it have in your life? Are you allowing God to lead you? Are you allowing Him the liberty to sand you off? Are you allowing Him to uh, to use you in different experiences to mix those colors to get it just right. I don't know about you, but I want to fit. I don't know about you, but I want a church with some vision. I want a church with some fire. I want a church with some people that love God, and that's the most important thing in their life. Brother Wells killed us all with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 last night. Present your body a living sacrifice. And then it goes on down there. The point that he dwelled on that killed me was this is your reasonable service. So the question today is where are you in your life? Are you willing to be shaped and painted to fit in the picture of Temple Baptist Church? Y'all stand with me, please.